Today is Sunday, August 22nd, and welcome to Zoom with Zarni. Uh, I have a very special Zoom with Zarni for you today. Uh, I am talking to Anthony Brindisi, who is a former congressman for New York 22, uh, but also our current candidate, Democratic candidate for the state Supreme Court. Um, we have a great conversation about uh, what the state Supreme Court does, why he decided not to run for Congress again and run for the seat. Uh, I think it's an incredibly important addition. Uh, this is a new seat that was added to take over the backlog of all of the cases that we've seen, not just from the pandemic, but uh, in general with the Supreme Court. Um, and of course, the Supreme Court deals with election matters. Anytime an election dispute uh, comes before uh, the Supreme Court, uh, or any time an election dispute comes before court at all, it goes to the state Supreme Court. So this is an important role. Uh, we have a great conversation, and I hope that uh, you uh, stay tuned for the interview. Uh, a few housekeeping notes at the Onondaga County Board of Elections. We are uh, um, you know, now finally with this Supreme Court seat that was just, uh, the nomination was just decided. We are finally starting to get into uh, the end of our uh, summer, and uh, we are, uh, you know, starting to put together our ballots for the fall election. This was the final nomination that needed to be made, and uh, is usually done in August. Uh, this is where Supreme Courts get uh, done, and so we are looking forward to having ballots and candidate lists finalized sometime before Labor Day as we work through our election process and check them out. They'll be on our website, sample ballots, and uh, as well as uh, uh, candidate lists. Uh, we have one more substitution in the Village of East Syracuse mayor race that we know about. Uh, things can happen. So candidates can be substituted due to death or moving or some other uh, disqualification act uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, but for the most part, the ballot is set, the propositions are set, all of the things that are on the ballot are set. Uh, so in the order of the candidates, we had a final draw for the order of primary winners and independent part, party lines. We have a lot of them this year. Uh, and so all of that has uh, taking place and we are getting ready to um, bring that to you in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I have a special uh, Commissioner Nakar again this Tuesday with Candace Lockett, who's gonna, who's our inspector coordinator on the Democratic side. Uh, and uh, then next uh, week, uh, I'm continuing my two Zoom with Zardis on Thursdays and Sundays. Uh, I will have the Lysander Town candidates and the Claytown candidates. Um, and then the week after that, I'm going to be at our convention uh, for the New York State Elections Commissioner Association. I'm standing again for re-election as the caucus chair for the entire New York State um, uh, elections, uh, the Democratic caucus chair for all of the elections commissioners throughout the state. Uh, but one thing people don't realize about these conventions is this is our annual training or our biannual training. We have two... Uh, things of training January and in August uh, in 2020, we missed uh, the August training and the January training. Uh, this year was missed. We tried to do those virtually. Uh, and it, I, while successful virtually, it wasn't the same thing. Uh, so 
Uh, we have a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to going and, and seeing my fellow elections commissioners in person again, and also hopefully, um, you know, learning a lot of things that are coming down the pike. Uh, and of course, this next week, Governor Hochul will become Governor Hochul. Uh, she's the Lieutenant Governor now. And I believe that's Monday is when uh, the uh, transition happens. So tomorrow. Uh, so uh, we will have further changes, probably a new Lieutenant Governor uh, will be announced uh, within a short period of time uh, on Tuesday, on Monday. So stay tuned and uh and and uh well and and that's it so i hope you enjoy this interview with anthony brindisi and uh i look forward to seeing you a few times next week bye-bye and i'm very happy to have my next guest uh mr brindisi Anthony Brindisi, who uh, many of you know, I'm sure, uh, after uh, the last uh, several years of serving in our neighboring congressional district uh, and uh, you know several close elections <laughs> involved in that, but now he is a candidate for Supreme Court justice this year. This is a, uh, a new seat that was created during the last legislative session. So this was not something that we were expecting at the beginning of the year. But now uh, we are here, and uh, and Mr. Brindisi has run the support of the the delegates to run and on the Democratic line. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on Zoom with Zarni. Dustin, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. So here we are. We're uh, you know <laughs> you're 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 coming back, um, and and I think a lot of people have seen you and seen your story in the media. But there may be some people out there that uh, are, are not as familiar with your candidacy. So Anthony, tell me a little bit about yourself. What, uh, where, where do you come from and, and uh, where, where do you hail from? So born and raised in, in central New York. I, I live in Utica with my wife, Erica. She's a professor of biology at Mohawk Valley Community College. We have uh, two young uh, children, Anthony, who is 14, my daughter, Lily, who is 10. Uh, and our dog, Bella, who just turned 13 yesterday. So uh, born and raised in this area, um, moved away uh, during school, but came back because uh, Eric and I wanted to be closer to family, start raising our family closer to grandparents. And uh, that's when I started to become interested in, in public service. Uh, I'm a lawyer, uh, I had been in private practice for some time, but became interested in public service. So ran for my local school board in the city of Utica, uh, became particularly interested in education issues. Uh, so then ran for the state assembly and represented the Utica Rome area for about seven years in the New York state assembly. And then in 2018, uh, felt that uh, not enough people were working together in Washington. So decided to run for Congress uh, and served a term in the US House of Representatives uh, covering the 22nd district, which uh, covers uh, parts of the central New York, Mohawk Valley, down into the southern tier. So that's uh, that's how it's gotten to me here now. And and now I'm uh, a candidate for, for Supreme Court justice. Yeah, so New York 22 uh, spanned eight counties uh, and the uh, the fifth judicial that you're running for only spanned six. So you've actually gone down in number of counties. So it is a much larger district um, uh, 
uh, population wise. It, it's one of the largest, it is the largest district outside of statewide offices that you can run for on Supreme Court. But right. I think many people don't know what Supreme Court does. Um, so wh what, what does it mean to be a Supreme Court justice? So Supreme Court, uh, traditionally in upstate New York, it's a court of general jurisdiction. So it's a, it hears primarily civil actions above a certain monetary threshold. Uh, so if you have a, a, a tort action, like a personal injury case, or if you have a matrimonial matter, a divorce, that would go to Supreme Court. Uh, contract disputes uh, would go to Supreme Court. Uh, real estate matters, employment disputes, um, foreclosures, mental health hearings. Uh, really, it's a it's a it's a trial court. Uh, so it has a, a broad uh, broad discretion over the kinds of cases that are heard there. But traditionally, it's civil cases that are heard in upstate New York uh, in the Supreme Court, and and that's really where I did most of my practice as an attorney, uh, working at a firm here in Central New York. Uh, primarily doing civil litigation in Supreme Court. So I'm very familiar with the ins and outs of the of the court system here. So it also deals with election law, right? <laughs> and uh, and that's something that you've... Um, I tried pretty, to block that one out, Dustin. Yeah, you tried to block <laughs> that out. But I think it's important because it is the court that we go to to, to resolve election disputes and... Uh, that was a big part of last year for you. Uh, yes. You, uh, you, you were locked in a battle uh, with Claudia Tenney, who you beat in 2018 um, uh, by a very thin margin and in a district that is heavily Republican leaning. And then unfortunately lost in uh, 2020 by a very thin margin but not without some controversy. There was a lot of uh, election issues going on that you were part of as a litigant in Supreme Court, right? what was that like to live through? I mean, not just campaigning in the middle of COVID, but then dealing with this extended uh, post-election process. It, it, it was tough. It was, uh, you know, certainly hard on our, our family. Uh, it was tough for the, the people who live in the 22nd district because every day you're waking up to news about uh, ballots here uh, showing up or, um, uh, people who had registered at the DMV to vote, never having their uh, registrations processed by the Board of Elections in Oneida County. Uh, so there were a lot of errors throughout the process. And as a candidate um, running for any office, but particularly for a congressional office, uh, you, you undergo a lot of scrutiny. Uh, a lot of effort goes into a campaign. Uh, you're, you're, you're prepared for uh the results to come in on election night, or at least in a, in a tight race like we had soon thereafter. So within a few weeks, maybe of, of election. What I wasn't prepared for was spending three months uh, as, a, as a party to a, a civil action and election law case in the Supreme Court. So I, I definitely understand what, what litigants are going through. I've represented people in Supreme Court uh, but I, I, I have a, a greater understanding now as to what litigants experience uh, in Supreme Court. Uh, but it was um, it was it, it was a tough three months, uh, um, and you know it, it really when when the U.S. Department of Justice uh, takes notice of some of the errors and violations of law that took place 
in uh, uh, some of the boards of elections in the 22nd district, you know there's a problem. And it's unfortunate that it had to take three months to really work itself out through the Supreme Court. Uh, and it didn't turn out um, the, the way we had hoped. However, you know, I, I, as I said back then, I accept the judge's decision and, and decided to, to move on to, to other things. Um, but it, it, it certainly wasn't an easy process. And it's something that uh, I have, have learned a lot from and, and can use as, uh, as a judge myself, hopefully going forward, uh, dealing, on, dealing with election law matters, which come up from time to time in, in these kinds of cases. Yeah, I, I've been a litigant in Supreme Court as well. Although I have to put out there, New York 22 did not go into Onondaga County. So I was not a part of that. Although I felt like I was a part of it because we're the major media market in, in, in central New York. So a lot of the reporters, uh, you know, went to me to get comment on stuff that I wasn't a part of because the people that were a part of it couldn't comment on it as well. So that was, uh, uh, and I tried to help the public get through it as much as possible. Um, I, I yeah, wish Onondaga was in the district, uh, uh, <laughs> Dustin, because you guys run a smooth operation over there. Well, we're in the district this time. Yes, <laughs> so, that's and, true. And, that is true. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, well, you know, I, I, I think you'll be uh, very happy with the service that you're going to get at the Onondaga County Board. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a distraction. Unfortunately, the the whole post election process and you know some of that my dog uh, some of that was you know still doing stuff at home. That's what happens. Uh, um, some of that was you know routine issues that come up in a in a post election when when it's hyper close like that. But also the expanded use of absentees in the middle of a COVID. But some of it was un. Uh, defensible, and that's the stuff that happened in Oneida. And I, we have two new commissioners over there, and one of them you know very well. Uh, I do, I do, and, and and they're doing a great job. Um, so, going back to you know, Supreme Court, it, it's a six-member district. Let's see if I can remember them all: Onondaga, Oneida, Herkimer, Jefferson, Lewis, and Oswego. Right? You got him. You got, got him. It. All right. And uh, we've actually had as Democrats pretty good, um, you know, track records in this district, despite it's generally Republican lean, although it has gotten much closer over the last uh, 10 years. Um, but, be, but despite that uh, Republican lean, we've actually won uh, in last year in 2020, Rory McMahon won. We've uh, uh, put Scott Del Conte on, who was your uh, judge uh, in New York 22. Uh, a couple of years before that, we were able to win uh, uh, Judge uh, Joseph, uh, had won a couple of times, uh, you know, and uh, so we're, um, you know, we've actually had some really uh, good track records, both in presidential years and non-presidential years on this. What what is your what is it going to be like for you to campaign in a really a short amount of time, uh, this large district and with COVID still rearing its ugly head again? Well, the the campaign's a little bit different this time around than uh, running a congressional campaign or running a a, a, a legislative campaign for state legislature. Uh, in that, when you when you run for a judicial office. Uh, you, you really can't discuss issues because you don't want to give, you're bound by certain judicial ethics. You don't want to uh, uh, give an indication as to how you would rule on a matter before you're a judge because every judge has to look at the facts that are presented to them uh, and make rulings based upon those facts. 
but you can talk about your experiences uh, and, and why you think you would be the best uh, uh, Supreme Court justice. And you know, when I when I step back and, and look at uh, as an attorney, what what I want most in a judge, and I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter, uh, because judges have to be fair and impartial to everybody. They can't take those political positions into the courtroom. Uh, you have to be independent. You have to show integrity. You have to have strong ethics, and you have to be impartial. But what I look for in any judge is someone who has the right temperament. Uh, and I would argue that I have the right temperament to be a Supreme Court justice and the right experience. Uh, I've spent 15 years practicing law. Uh, obviously, when I was in Congress, I couldn't practice law. But even when I was in the state legislature, I was in private practice doing civil litigation in this, primarily in the Supreme Court. So I've handled every single phase of litigation from investigations to discovery to depositions to pre-trial proceedings. I've tried cases in the Supreme Court. I've gotten jury verdicts uh, in the Supreme Court uh, and I've handled appeals. So I have that courtroom knowledge that you wanna have with a judge. But I also have what uh, I would call real world experience. I haven't just spent the last 15 years in a courtroom or a deposition room. Through my public service, my constituents uh, have been everyday people throughout this community, people from every walk of life uh, with all kinds of experiences from every background uh, of every socioeconomic status. So uh, I, I have a, a good understanding, I believe, what uh, motivates people, what their, their hopes, their, their needs, their desires are. And I think I understand people and what I pride myself on, especially when I was a public servant, is being a good listener and helping to solve problems. And that's, you, you want that in a judge uh, because when you're dealing with someone who may be in court because of a mental health issue, or you're dealing with someone who's facing a foreclosure, or perhaps you're, 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 in, you're presiding over a case where the litigant can't afford an attorney, so they're appearing pro se where they're representing the, themselves. You, you wanna have someone who has experiences uh, dealing with people from, from various uh, backgrounds, and I would say through my public service, uh, I have I have done that. The reason I got into public service to begin with, whether it was the school board, whether it was the state assembly, whether it was the halls of Congress, or why I'm running for Supreme Court now, is because I want to help people. Um, that that is what motivates me. I want to help people. People are usually in court because of some unpleasant experience. No one wants to be in court. They usually have some dispute that happened out of court, which has brought them to court. And my goal is to help them and to help ensure that they don't come back to court. Uh, you know, you, you want to you want to resolve matters uh, the best you can. I think a judge can do that and can help facilitate settlements. But you also want to recognize that you can't force litigants into settlements because they have a right to have their their issue heard before uh, a jury or uh, uh, perhaps a judge. So again, you, you touched on it earlier. It's really hard with a judicial uh, uh, candidate to, to talk about issues because you can't. You can't talk about them. You're, you're bound not to talk about them. And I'm not going to get in trouble by asking about a lot of these issues. But you, you've uh, kind of talked about your philosophy. And I know that when you were in Congress, your philosophy was uh, you know, to reach across the aisle. 
you, you worked with people. Uh, you were in the Problem Solvers Caucus as well. Yep. I noticed that you have a picture of Abraham Lincoln right over your uh, shoulder there. So um, I think says bipartisan, like a Democrat with a picture of a Republican president above. That's his right. Head. That's right. It's <laughs> well framed, uh, but uh, uh, but. Uh, I think um, that will, you know, that kind of lends to the judicial uh, mindset as well, is that you can't be as partisan um, when you're running or when you're ruling, uh, that, you know, while we all run on party lines, uh, you have to bring everybody uh, together and see everybody as they come before you. Do uh, you think that's going to lead, uh, you know, to some experience on the on the judicial bench that other people may not bring to it? I do. Um, I, I've I've written laws, which gives me a, a unique perspective into the the the, the, the lawmaking process. Uh, one of the things that um, I talked a lot lot about during my uh, congressional campaign is in the two years that I served in Congress, um, I authored twelve pieces of legislation made them bipartisan and got them signed into law by President Trump. So when I was there, you had a democratically controlled house, you had a Republican Senate, and you had a Republican president. Um, and I, I was one of the most prolific lawmakers there during those two years, uh, getting 12 bills actually authored and signed into law. And that really takes a, a lot of effort bringing people together. Uh, you have an issue, uh, you try to work across the aisle to find someone uh, another member who has a, a similar concern, you, you write a bill, uh, and then you have to work to negotiate and bring other members on board to the legislation, get it passed in your house, walk across the, 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 the Capitol, go over to the Senate, talk to a senator, get them to carry the bill, uh, and try and work with them to negotiate uh, a, a compromise on that side, get it passed, and then get it signed into law by, by the administration. So it takes negotiation skills. It takes someone who's a good listener. It takes a problem solver to do those kinds of things. And when you sit back and you think about Supreme Court, the majority of the cases in Supreme Court are settled, okay? Um, only, a, only a small percentage of them actually go through a trial. Uh, and a judge can play a role in helping to facilitate negotiations, bring parties together, and settle disputes. And that's what I would try and do as a as a Supreme Court justice, but never in a way you have to be very careful as, as, a, as a judge because you don't want to, you don't, you never want to force a settlement on a party, okay? Because everyone has, as I said before, their their right to their day in court to have their issue litigated uh, before a jury. So you don't want to force a settlement, but a judge uh, with the right kinds of skills can really help uh, facilitate settlements. And I think that uh, given my my track record of bringing people together uh, through my public service, uh, I can I can do that very well. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, the goal is justice. You know, it's not necessarily uh, a win for one side or the other. So sometimes settlements, uh, you know, that happens in election law. My my election law cases that I've uh, done more more often than night there's a stipulated agree agreement as opposed to a ruling so right. um but uh so you know we're coming about to the end of the time period that i, I like to have on these podcasts um but i always ask one question of all my guests uh what haven't we talked about that you want to get out there what what is, what is something that uh you know you wanted to make sure people heard that we haven't been able to mention 
Well, I, I, the other thing I would I would mention uh, I, there was a, a a very interesting report that was done last year by by the New York State court system. Um, they brought on a, a special advisor on on equal justice to look at uh, diversity in the court system, uh, implicit bias uh, among judges and court staff, and, and that's something that uh, I've been talking about in in my campaign because what what I want everyone to realize is that. Judges are judges are human too. Okay, everyone uh, has uh, certain implicit biases, uh, but what we have to do as judges, and we can do this through more training uh, in the court system, uh, expanding uh, mandatory bias training, things like that, is to uh, acknowledge our own implicit biases uh, so we can be as fair and impartial as possible when ruling on particular matters. So. You know, I think that's something that's that's really working its way more and getting more attention in the court system, and something I certainly want to address uh, as a as a judge, uh, making sure that I'm going above and beyond uh, whatever training is there now in place, and follow the recommendations of the of the special advisor uh, on on New York State courts um, on on the report on equal justice. So. Um, you know, that's, that's something that doesn't get talked a lot about in these kinds of campaigns, but I think it's important uh, that, we, that we bring these topics out because uh, we have to acknowledge our own implicit biases uh, as, as people who are running for office and want to serve in these positions of public trust and, and, and work to uh, uh, educate ourselves and, and, and make sure that we are uh, checking those biases at the door. Yeah, that's was that report why we had that expansion? Is that, is that part of the reason why we've seen that expansion? I mean, was it just our area? We didn't just get a brand new judge. Almost every district got more judges. We just happened to have the weird cycle where we had no judges, and that's why this popped up. But is that the you know is that what led to the uh, uh, the motivation by the uh, legislature to add uh, judges throughout New York State? I think what led to the motivation of the legislature really was due to uh, many of the backlogs in, in the court system, um, which are affecting all, you know, everybody. Uh, anyone who has a case uh, in civil court has been affected by the, the backlogs. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the court system was shut down for almost a year uh, during the pandemic, uh, and, and many things were being done virtually really full in-person trials weren't uh, commencing, at least on the civil side, uh, until until earlier earlier this uh, uh, summer. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, there's backlogs, not just in, in, in Supreme Court, you have issues in family court, uh, in criminal courts as well. Uh, so I think that really led to the legislature creating these new positions. And, and we were fortunate to get one here in the fifth judicial district, because not every part of the state um, uh, I believe got one. Right. Yeah. I think there was. I think there was one judicial area that didn't get it, but I can't remember now. But uh, yeah. it, it is. Um, you know, I think it's a welcome. Uh, you know, addition because there is this massive backlog, and uh, it got. It was there was a backlog before uh, COVID, and, and, and certainly was exasperated. So having more, um, you know, having more justices will allow more cases to move through. Right. Well, uh, Anthony, thank you so much uh, for coming on. But uh, where can people find you? Well, they can go to uh, Brindisi for Judge, BrindisiForJudge.com. That's our website. There's uh, opportunities on there for people to 
volunteer. Um, they can also check us out on Facebook. Uh, uh, again, if you type into the search bar, Brindisi for Judge, uh, it'll lead you to our Facebook page. And hopefully I will uh, see uh, everyone at a, an event soon. Uh, only two, uh, well, a little over two months uh, until election. So it's a pretty, pretty short runway. Yeah, and, and volunteering is so important in a local year. These elections, you know, a lot of times after a presidential year, everybody kind of exhales and and, and, and and takes a year off. But that there are so many things going on this year. Your race, uh, local races, town boards, county legislature, uh, you know, running in local offices is, is uh, uh, it's hard. And we need people that are willing to go out and help uh, because, you know, again, this short window has happened and uh, for you and but also, you know, I think a lot of people have kind of taken the summer off and, and I think it's going to be a short window for everybody uh, yeah. as we get back into it. So, uh, but I want to thank you for your- elections are, are so important, Dustin. I mean, you know this, um, so you're right. Sometimes people, they do take time off from a presidential or governor's election, but it's important that we get out on those local elections too. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. You need people, good people running for local offices because those are the people who will become the next state legislators, members of Congress, governors, senators, presidents. It, it all starts local. Yeah, it's about building your bench. Uh, you right. know that, and that's something that Democrats have not done as well locally, uh, is building the, at the town board level and the county ledge level. So we have candidates that are ready to take those next uh, steps. Um, although I think this year we have a lot of candidates in Onondaga County and I'm sure the other counties have them as well. So uh, Anthony, I wanna thank you for coming on. I wanna thank you for your service to our community, uh, you know, to Central New York as a whole and, and to our nation. And, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm awfully happy to see you uh, taking on this position. So uh, thank you for going back into the fire, so to speak. <laughs> Thank you, Dustin. Thank you for your service uh, and for, for running a good operation there at the Board of Elections. So thank you. We got a great staff. They're, they're wonderful. And so, well, and that's it for Zoom with Zarni for today. Uh, coming uh, next week, uh, I'll have two Zoom with Zarnies again, one with the Lysander Town Board candidates on Thursday, and then the Clay Town Board candidates on uh, Sunday. And uh, I'll also be doing my commissioner in car on Tuesday. We'll be talking to Candace Lockett, who's our inspector coordinator, talking about how you can get involved in becoming an election inspector. And then uh, my Wonky Wednesday series will continue. I'm doing the county ledge right now. And at the end of this, I'm going to throw back on the uh, Supreme Court uh, Wonky Wednesday because we didn't get a ch chance to look at that earlier because we didn't know we were going to have an election in that this year. So uh, I think uh, next week is going to be uh, OCL 7, which is DeWitt and the north side of Syracuse. So check that out. And uh, I uh, hope that uh, you are safe and continue to wear a mask uh, indoors. Um, I know it is not mandated yet, although it is mandated at the state fair, which is going on at this moment. So if you're going to the state fair, you're going to the indoor buildings, please wear a mask. It's also ma mandated in transportation. So Ubers, buses, all of that, you still have to wear a mask and also hospitals and schools, it is mandated. So please wear your mask when you're indoors. And if you haven't gotten the shot, get the shot. It's a medical miracle. It's free. And it is the only way we're going to get out of this is if more people get vaccinated. So stay safe. Uh, and I hope to see you out there. Bye-bye.